Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. In the KSL Traffic Center. And checking your weather. Warmer today as winds pick up in the south. High clouds from time to time. And we're going to have a storm rolling in on Sunday. Right now we have 61 degrees at 12.06. You get the top stories every 30 minutes. Breaking news the second it happens. I'm Mary Ellen Geis. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM, 1160 AM, Utah's news, traffic, and weather station. Today, let me speak to the governor. Governor Gary Herbert spends one hour answering your questions. Call 801-575-8255. Live from the studios of KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. And good afternoon. I'm Scott Seeger along with Utah Governor Gary Herbert. And welcome to Let Me Speak to the Governor. And Governor, thanks so much for being with us this afternoon. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be with you, Scott. We may be interrupted uh, by Donald Trump here coming up in just a moment. He's scheduled to speak at a rally in Portland, Maine. You mean uh, I'm going to be trumped by Trump? (laughs) You said that, sir, (laughs) not me. Uh, But you were at Mitt Romney's speech earlier today. Uh, Just to wonder what what your impression was of that. Well, it was a historical event. It's certainly unusual, and there was a lot of interest, and uh, there still is a lot of interest in what he's said and his comments. And, you know, the, the word, I guess, to describe everything that's going on in this presidential race is one of frustration. There's a lot of frustration with the dysfunctionality in Washington, D.C., and, and the American public are looking for somebody, somebody, help me, you know, lead us out of this mess and solve some problems and get some things done. And then I think there's additional frustration in how this is, we're going about this, particularly from the Republican side, as we all saw this last Republican debate, and it just seemed a little bit childish. I mean, the, the uh, name-calling back and forth, the arguing, a lack of decorum, and there are some serious issues that this country is facing, and I think the American public, and I think this is what Mitt was kind of addressing in his frustration, is that we need serious answers to serious questions. We need to have a vision. We need to have some details, some specifics of what we're going to do and see what we can do to turn the country around. So uh, a lot of people are frustrated. Uh, a lot of frustration came out today, and I think that's what you heard from Mitt Romney. Do you agree with Mitt Romney's characterization of Donald Trump? Well, I don't know Donald Trump uh, to actually characterize uh, any much any detail. I expect, like most candidates, everybody has pros and cons, strengths and weaknesses, and uh, I think that's true from everybody. Uh, certainly, uh, Mr. Trump has his own personality and way of doing things. He's kind of a bigger than life character, and uh, he's saying things that are uh, certainly uh, attracting a following. Whatever the rules have been of engagement in political politics we've had in times past seem to have been thrown out the window this time because I, I can tell you people have been talking about him not being a contender for six months. And here he is, you know, uh, coming down the home stretch and leading everybody by not just a little but by a lot. So it's just hard to kind of handicap and, and see. I'd like to see a little more substance. I'd like to see a little more detail. And I'd certainly like to see a little more presidential decorum. We uh, obviously have some 
issues in the state of Utah that the governor might uh, want to address. And if you have a question for Governor Gary Herbert, all you have to do is give us a call at KSL Talk, or we'll be happy to pass along questions that you text to us at 57500. The legislature, Governor, uh, coming down to the final days. Uh, excuse me. It looks like uh, Mr. Trump is now speaking. Let's join him. There you go. I want to thank Paul. Boy, I'll tell you. I love tough people. You need tough people, and he's a tough cookie. And when we got his endorsement, we were thrilled, I will tell you that. He's a great guy. Uh, You know, I was doing a little bit of a thing called a debate. Get him out, please. Get him out. What are they doing, right? What's the purpose? What are they doing? Well, it gets a little television time, I guess. But, you know, I was going to the debate. I was going directly in from Florida. I'm down in Florida. We're campaigning. We're doing really well in Florida. We're campaigning against a guy that has the worst voting record in the history of the state of Florida, named Rubio. Um, he's, uh, I call him lightweight. He's a lightweight. But got the worst record in the history of Florida, so I don't know. I should do well there. Let's hope I do well there. I love Florida. But I was, I was going to Detroit, and I said to my people, I have to stop in Maine. I felt so, I just had to stop in Maine. So I wouldn't say that it's a very direct route, would you say? Instead of going this way, I went this way and this way, and that is good. I'm so glad. And, you know, to put, to put this incredible sold-out crowd, and you have thousands of people outside, to put this crowd together in a period of, what, 24 hours is pretty amazing. And Maine is amazing. You know, Maine is one of the most beautiful places on earth. And people don't realize how large your land mass is. I was talking to Paul. As large as all of New England, when you think of it, that's some piece of land. Can I buy some, please? Can I buy some? Can I buy some? So, you know, I've been watching uh, with great interest as we get to, you know, go down the line. We've had some amazing results. And right nearby with New Hampshire, we, it was an amazing, incredible thing. And by the way, they every single time I went to New Hampshire, whenever I met with people, they'd always say, number one problem, number one problem, heroin, number one problem. And I'd say, how is that possible? You know, you look at these beautiful fields and the beautiful little roads and everything's so beautiful. And it was the number one problem. And it comes from our southern border. And we're going to close up that border. And we're going to build a wall. And we're going to stop the drugs from coming in. Believe me. We're going to stop. And people are going to come into our country, but they're going to come in legally. They're going to come in legally. But we're going to solve the problem. But, you know, I watched these pundits. And when I first started, my wife Melania and I, we came down the escalator, right? And I first started. And it was an amazing thing. I said, you know, we have to do something because we have people that don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing in running our country. And I got some of that today, you know, just in hearing some of these things. But they don't know what they're doing. We have to do it. And it takes guts to run for president. I'm not a politician. I'm not a politician. All talk, no action. Nothing gets done. And anyway, we're coming down. And and I said to myself, you know, there's so many things. And then I watched the pundits. And they said... 
oh, Trump, I don't know, we have some great talent running, and I'm trying to figure out where, where, what's the talent? What's the talent? But, you know, you come down and you do it and you start talking about trade and you see what happens with trade. Uh, trade has been trade has been such a disaster. But the pundits all said, you know, I came out at three percent. First one. And my wife said, you know, if you run, you're going to win. But you actually have to run. You can't say you're going to run because they won't poll it. But even if they do poll it, people still say you're not going to run. She said, but if you run, you're going to win. I said, oh, she's my pollster. She's my pollster. I paid her less money, but she's, my, she's better than the pollster. So you know what happened? I started at three the first day or something. I was at three, which I wasn't exactly thrilled about. Then it went up to six. It went up to 12. It went up to 18. And then it kept going up. And every time I went up, the pundits would say, he's plateaued. You know, plateaued. Well, he's always going to get six. That's a six solid group. Then I went up to 12. Well, you know, that's a solid group. Then I went up to 24. And he said, and don't forget, that's with 17 people. We had 17 people. That's a lot. 24 with 17 people is pretty good. So we went up to 24. And they said, well, that's the max. There can't be any more. Then we went up to 28, 32. So CNN just came out with a poll. Trump, 49. Yeah. National. That's high. That's high. And... And I'm very proud of it because this is not a plateau. This is a movement. We have a movement going on, folks. <laughs> Time magazine did a story recently, a couple of weeks ago, talking about what's going on. And, and they've never seen anything like it. People have never seen anything. They say, actually, and I don't think I'm exaggerating this at all, and I don't want to exaggerate, but many of the great writers, of which there are very few, because the media is among the most dishonest people I've ever dealt with. <laughs> But they said, they said that in the history of this country, there's never been anything like this, what's happening. We were in Huntsville, Alabama the other day. We had 35,000 people, 35,000 people. We were, we went to Arkansas, which you saw we went. Oh, is that another one? Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, get them out. Get them out. Get them out. All right, you've been listening to Donald Trump speaking in uh, at a rally in Maine. He's actually already thrown two people out of his uh, his own rally uh, there. He hasn't yet addressed any of the comments that Mitt Romney made earlier. And we want to get back to our own governor, Gary <laughs> Herbert, and talk about some of the issues that are uh, pressing here in Utah. And uh, before we went to uh, Mr. Trump, we were talking about the legislature coming down to the final days. And uh, how do you think it's gone so far, Governor? I think it's gone very well. Uh, I think there's been uh, good compromise. I think people working together. The number one issue, of course, is always the budget. I think they're prioritizing correctly from what I've been able to ascertain so far. I think we'll see a boost in education funding, which is my number one budget priority. And so I think we're going to see success there. Uh, you know, I think we're going to see some uh, movement and having some health care. Uh, expansion of uh, Medicaid to help those who are really the most vulnerable amongst us, the, the poorest of the poor. And I think Representative Jim Dunnigan's got support in the House, and I think if it gets out of the House, it will pass in the Senate. And so I think that's a positive thing. Uh, I think we'll have money for our infrastructure, our transportation needs. I think we're going to put ourselves on a good pathway towards uh, developing our water resources, more emphasis on conservation, but the ability to develop the water resources we need uh, for a very fast-growing state. So I think in most every issue, we're going to make positive steps in the right direction, and I feel good about the work of the legislature. And we've got, you know, six and a half days, seven days to go, mm -hmm. really working days, and... Um, 
but I feel good about what we've done so far, and I feel like we're on the right track. Some controversial issues, as always, uh, in the legislature. A bill passing the Senate going to the House now that would do away with the death penalty in Utah. If that lands on your desk, what do you think you're going to do? You know, I haven't decided. I've been a proponent of the death penalty, but I've also said that uh, it has to be done in very extreme cases uh, where it warrants a punishment that befits uh, putting somebody to death. That's why we don't do it very often in Utah. We've had seven executions since 1976, and so it doesn't happen often. Uh, we've had some concerns about being able to, in fact, administer the death penalty under the law with not being able to get the medications that are necessary. So uh, I, I think uh, I'll take a look at it and, uh, when it comes to my desk and decide then. All right. And we're going to go back to Donald Trump now, who is talking about the comments from he the Romney horribly. Earlier. The third to He's- He failed badly. That was a race, I have to say, folks, that should have been won. That was a race that absolutely should have been won. And I don't know what happened to him. He disappeared. He disappeared. And I wasn't happy about it, I'll be honest, because I am not a fan of Barack Obama. And that was a race that I backed Mitt Romney. I backed him. You can see how loyal he is. He was begging for my endorsement. I could have said, Mitt, drop to your knees. He would have dropped to his knees. He was begging. He was begging me. And did you see how great? He said, oh, I'm not big like him. He's the great businessman, all that stuff. Well, since then, I've done much better. And now he tries to demean, but we'll talk about that in a second. But Mitt was thinking about running again. He ran a horrible campaign. It was a campaign that should have never been lost. You're running against a failed president. He came up with the 47%. He demeaned 47% of the people in our country, right? The the famous 47%. Once that was said, I'll be honest, once that was said, a lot of people thought it was over for him. Then the last month and a half, he disappeared. And I called his people. I said, you have to do yourself a favor. Obama, say what you want. He was on Jay Leno. He was on David Letterman. He was all over the place the last three, four weeks. Mitt was looking for zoning for a nine-car garage or something in California, right? I said, what's he doing? Who cares about a garage? You're running for president. And Mitt was a disaster as a candidate. So what happened, and it was very strong, and I think if the press goes back, they'll see it. When I heard he was running again, and I wasn't sure I was going to be running, but I was very, very strong to Mitt and to everybody, and publicly, not to talk to him, because I didn't even want to talk to him. I was so disappointed in him, because he let us down. He let us down. You know, it's one thing you lose, and you work, and you work, and you go. He let us down. He should have won. Something happened to him. He went away. He was gone. He was horrible in the third debate. It was, it was a horrible... Something happened. I don't know what happened. Maybe someday they'll write a book. His campaign guy was terrible, terrible. He had a terrible campaign manager who's always on television, uh, Stuart Stevens or something. He's always on television knocking everybody. The guy ran one of the worst campaigns in the history of modern politics. And Mitt ran, probably it was the worst run that most people have seen because most people thought that the Republican candidate would win. So when Mitt started raising his head a few months ago, I was very strong. I said, Mitt Romney should not run. He's a choke artist. And I said it very strongly. I wanted to keep him in. And then Jeb Bush actually convinced Mitt not to run. Can you imagine? Jeb, Jeb sold him. 
Jeb, he's a good salesman. See, now that he's out, I'll say Jeb's a good salesman, right? He's a high-energy salesman. But Mitt was afraid of Jeb because he was afraid that Jeb would get the money and Jeb would get the whatever. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid of Jeb, I can tell you that. So what happened is Jeb Bush convinced Mitt not to run. Mitt was going to run. It was going to be a third attempt, the second one being one of the great catastrophes. The first one just didn't happen, so that's okay. But the second was a catastrophe. And what happened is he went to see Jeb, and Jeb had him convinced that he's going to run. He's got the money. He's this. And Mitt chickened out. But I'll tell you the real reason he chickened out. It wasn't Jeb. It was me. Because I said, he's the joke. If you remember, Mitt was all set to run. I know this from people that are close to him. And I think he probably still has a desire, maybe at the convention, to try and get some kind of a thing. Hillary Clinton will destroy him in the election. Assuming she's allowed to run, assuming she's not arrested for the email situation. Which is so terrible. Which is so terrible. I mean, so terrible. But let's assume that the Democrats are going to protect her. Let's assume that I will be running against Hillary, and I really want to. I would love to run against Hillary. And by the way, we have numerous polls that show me beating her easily, and I haven't even started on her yet other than four weeks ago I did. Remember? She called me sexist, and I hit her with the husband. And that was the last time I ever heard the word sexist. That was it. No, that was it. They had a rough weekend. That was a rough weekend. Bill was not happy. He, I, I guarantee you, he said, don't you ever say that to him again. Say it to somebody else, but not to Trump. That was a rough, rough weekend they had. But Mitt was going to run as sure as you're standing here. I'm sorry we didn't get you to see it's too many people. But he was going to run, and I was very, very uh, angry that he was going to run. I didn't even know I was going to be doing this. But... I felt I wanted to. You know, NBC came to me. They wanted to extend the, the Apprentice for two seasons, 28 episodes. Steve Burke, now Steve Burke of Comcast, great guy, came up to my office with the people at NBC. Please, Donald, we'd like you to run. We'd like you to, you know, not run. We'd like you to run in The Apprentice, do The Apprentice. The ratings after 14 seasons were still fantastic. They were still great. And I said, Steve, I think I'm going to run for president. No, 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 you're not. You're not. No, I think I'm going to run for president. They didn't want me to. They wanted me to because the show does great. And ultimately, I decided to run. And you're not allowed by law. With equal time laws, you're not allowed to do both. And we chose Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let's see. How will Arnold do, by the way? Does anybody know? Who would be better, Arnold or Trump? Ready? Arnold? Trump. Well, we're going to find out if Arnold is quick, because if he's not quick, he's not going to look good. When you have Amorosa and all the other ones coming at you, you got to be quick. you got to be smart. We'll find out. We're going to learn a lot about Arnold, but I hope he does well. I hope Arnold does really well. But I was going to do that, and they, they I mean, they actually renewed the show with me in the upfronts, and uh, I, just, I just said I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And I gave up a lot of deals. I gave up a lot of things. To do this takes a lot of effort. A lot of, oh, those are the people trying to get in. Can you believe it? Yep. Okay, how about everybody now clearing out, we'll let a new group in. Is that okay? No? So anyway, so when I heard Mitt was going to run, a little before this period of time, I was very tough. I said, he can't run, he can't run. He was going to run. He can't run. Then I started saying, look, we got to keep him out because he's going to lose. He's a choke artist. He's an absolute, and I started hitting him so hard. In fact, people say, why'd you hit him so hard? Because we cannot take another loss. We can't take another loss. And Mitt is indeed a choke artist. He choked 
and he choked like I've never seen anyone choked, other than Rubio, when Chris Christie was grilling him. That was one of the great chokes. Oh, no. Rubio of Florida, that was one of the great chokes I've ever seen. He was standing there shaking, sweating. I was getting ready. I'm standing here like this. He's right over here. I'm getting ready to grab him because I thought he was going down. I'm telling you. But Mitt did a big, big choke, and uh, we had to keep him out. So, look, a couple of things I heard he said. Uh, first of all, you know, he doesn't mention the fact that I built a city on the west side of Manhattan, that I built buildings all over Manhattan. He didn't mention into this that he was talking about a beef, and he talked about a water company, which, by the way, I still have. I supply all my clubs with the water. You know, numerous of those things I have, the magazine, other things. Get him, get him out of here. Get him out. Get him out. Hey, by the way, speaking of Mexico, I won the Hispanic vote by far in Nevada, right? We won, we won the Hispanic vote in Nevada in the, in the polls uh, during the, we won Nevada, we won South Carolina, we won New Hampshire. Then we had the big, big Tuesday where we won a tremendous number. And, and I have to tell you this. So ultimately, Mitt chickened out. And now he's saying, probably sees Hillary's very weak. And now he said, oh, I wish I went. I wish I tried it. But ultimately, he didn't because he would, have gotten, he would have gotten beaten very badly. But I'll tell you what. A couple of things were mentioned that we have to discuss. First of all, when he talks about me, I wrote just a couple of them down. When he talks about me, they don't want to talk about 92-story uh, buildings all over the place. They don't want to talk about the Bank of America building in San Francisco, 1290 Avenue of the Americas. They don't want to talk about the West Side Railroad Yards, where I built a city on the west side of Manhattan, a tremendous city on the west side of Manhattan. They don't want to talk about 40 Wall Street and all the buildings. They want to talk about water, which I still have. I supply all my clubs. I have a water company. They want to talk about a magazine, and I have a magazine. It goes to all my clubs. They want little tiny thing, you know, wherever you can find. By the way, a school, little deal, but very you know, I loved it in, when it was there. Trump, they call it Trump University, Trump uh, Initiative. But I will tell you, just so you understand on the school, the school had 98% approval rating. But you had an attorney that felt, oh, maybe I can sue Trump and get something. The school had a 98%. In other words, 98% of the people that took the courses, we signed report cards. That's why you can't settle a case like that. You put somebody up in the stand. Did you write this? The most beautiful thing. They did a commercial. They took it down where two people were going and saying negative, And then we showed them the statement that they wrote. They had to take the commercial down. Because 98% of the people that took the course, that took the courses, said really wonderful things about it. The other thing's got an A, an A from the Better Business Bureau. So I say, how do I settle a case like this? Uh, a B plus would be okay too. B plus would be okay, but we did better than a B plus. So, so I can't, and, and here's one thing I say about business. I watch these bankers and they get millions of dollars a year, 40, 50 million dollars. Frankly, it's ridiculous. And then they'll settle with the government if they're sued by the government for two billion, three billion, five billion, twelve billion. And I say to them, why don't you fight it? They said, well, it's the government, we don't want to fight. Well, I say, you got to fight it, because if you don't fight it, everyone's going to sue you. And that's what happens. You ever see it? They settle for two billion, the next week they get sued again. You got to fight these things out. You have to do things, you have to do what's right. So with university, I knew I could get some bad publicity, but I have to, I have to do what's right. Do, do we agree with that, by the way? So. It's a, it's a very small case. It's a civil case. It's not a big deal. And I'm going to win it in court. 
And it'll cost me more money to win it in court than I could settle for, in my opinion. But I'm going to win it in court. And I said, oh, this is lousy timing because it's too bad it wasn't a little bit later because I happened to be running for president. But I have other suits, too. Any businessman or businesswoman has lawsuits. People sue to get their money back. They sue for this. They sue for that. They sue for a million different reasons. So just so you understand, 98% approval rating, an A from the Better Business Bureau. We're going to win the case. Mark it down. We're going to win the case. Uh, it'll be forever because it takes forever. But that's the way it is. I don't like to settle cases. I don't like to do it. Because once you settle cases, what happens is everybody says he's a settler. Let's sue. That's not me. A lot of people don't sue me because they say it's too hard. So, so one of the things, one of the things that Mitt brought up, which I think is so serious, he said about trade. We have to keep trade. Nobody knows more about trade than me. I mean, I made so much more money than Mitt. You know, I have a store that's worth more money than Mitt. It's a store. And actually, it was funny because I made that statement jokingly when I was in Iowa. And the Des Moines Register, a paper that's actually a terrible paper, if you want to know the truth. But they called up. They said, oh, that's a terrible statement. That's a terrible statement for you to make that statement about. And the people put me on. I said, what are you saying? They said, you said you have a store that's worth more than Mitt. So let's say Mitt's worth $150 $200 million. I said, what's he worth? They said, $150 million. I said, yeah, the store's worth much more than him. It's on Fifth Avenue. You know, it's Gucci, the Gucci store. So I said, yeah, it's worth much more. We don't believe a store is worth $150 million. I said, well, go ahead. Go get a couple of... They actually went out, got three appraisers. And they said, you know what? That store is worth from $400 million to a billion too. And, and by the way, this isn't me talking. You can go check your local Des Moines register if, anybody, if it's still open. I'm not sure it's still open. <laughs> but anyway, but, but I built an amazing company. And you know, one of the reasons you know it's amazing, the hottest development, the hottest development site, probably in the history of the General Services Administration, the GSA, that's the government service, is the old post office site. That's where the post office is built in Washington, D.C., an entire block fronting on Pennsylvania Avenue. In other words, if I don't get there through the White House, I'm getting there anyway, okay, folks? And fronting on Pennsylvania Avenue, the, one of the most beautiful buildings in the country, and incredible, it's a landmark building. And the GSA for many, many, many years has owned it, and they've wanted to develop it for 30, 35 years, and it just sort of never worked out, big job, and never happened. And then they went to bid, and in bidding it, they had more bidders and more high-level bidders, I think, than they ever had before. So let's assume just about, it's just about the hottest job that they've ever put out to bid. Every hotel company wanted it. I actually got it on building a 300-room, super, super luxury hotel. But they bid it, and every hotel company, every office company, everybody wanted it. So they went out to a public bid. And one of the things in choosing the bidder was how strong is the bidder and how good is the bidder's idea. Well, they loved my idea because what we're going to do, I'm serious, this will be one of the great hotels of the world. It is now two years ahead of schedule. It's going to open in September. We're supposed to open up in September in two years. We're two years ahead of schedule. And by the way, the GSA people are terrific people. And we're under budget a little bit. In fact, the only reason we're only a little bit under budget 
is that I'm using marble instead of terraza. Not a bad idea, right? All right. And this has been Donald Trump at a rally in Maine, Portland, Maine. He criticized Mitt Romney uh, and uh, Mitt Romney's comments earlier today, sponsored by the Hinckley Institute of Politics up at the University of Utah. And, of course, we're going to have much more on Donald Trump's response to Mitt Romney and what Mitt Romney said throughout the afternoon here on KSL News Radio. But right now we are uh, in the middle of Let Me Speak to the Governor with Utah Governor Gary Herbert. And, uh, Governor... I think maybe we ought to just start taking some phone calls here and uh, start a, uh, start getting. I live for the day when I've got as much <laughs> self confidence as Donald Trump. I mean, okay. the, the guy doesn't lack for uh, self worth. No. Yep. Well, let's go to the phones. And uh, Jed in uh, Salt Lake has been hanging on for quite some time. Jed, thanks for uh, staying with us on Let Me Speak to the Governor. What's your question for Governor Gary? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I know the governor has decided to to gather signatures. Uh, him and his campaign have decided to gather signatures. And I was just wondering how many signatures the governor has personally gathered. Well, we've gathered. Sure. We actually have volunteers as well as people that we've hired to do that. There's a local company called Gathering that's out there. Uh, We've talked with a lot of people. It takes 28,000 signatures to, in fact, uh, follow the uh, law that was been passed by by the legislature. Uh, but I can tell you we're doing both. It's not just a matter of gathering signatures. It's also a matter of going to caucus night. We're trying to use that as a platform to encourage people to attend their caucus nights, to elect delegates, to go to the convention. Uh, the attorney general has given us a review of the pathways that are available and, and have said to us and really to all candidates, and I take his counsel seriously, that the only way you can guarantee that you're on the ballot for the primary election is taking both pathways. And so uh, that's the prudent thing to do. It's the wise thing to do. We're in it to win. Uh, we've had other people have said that, the, you know, you follow the rules and you play by the rules and you hope for a better uh, and a good outcome. So that's what we're doing. All right, uh, Jed, thanks so much. And let's go to Cole in St. George. Welcome, Cole. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Cole. Yeah, so I was I was really happy to hear Governor Herbert say that he he's concerned about the budget and how he spends our tax dollars, and it kind of brings me to my question. Um, so, the legislature uh, and Governor Herbert authorized a study to a feasibility study to see if we could get the public lands back into the state portfolio. Cost about fifteen million dollars. And I was just curious why Governor Herbert authorized the study if he had no intention on going through with the uh, with the results of it. Well, I don't know where you're getting the idea that we have no intentions of going through with it. I think it's important that we are practical in our approach and make sure that we, in fact, analyze and, and understand exactly what we're getting into, what our chances are for success, and what the cost is going to be overall. The cost-to-benefit ratio is something that government always ought to be uh, interested in. Uh, some things are, are maybe too expensive and too costly for the benefit. Uh, the public lands debate is something that's been going on for a long while. I've been involved since 1992. So I'm not just a Johnny-come-lightly to this issue. Uh, I'm trying to follow the lead, too, of our congressional delegation, which is working very hard in trying to find a way to not just uh, do a little bit, but to do a lot, 18 million acres with the Public Land Initiative, to find compromise with all the groups out there. And that's difficult because we have a lot of distortion and falsehoods that are being, I think, talked about with the Public Land Initiative and that need to be sorted out. 
We also know that uh, there's the threat of the National Monument, and uh, litigation and lawsuit would probably ensure that a National Monument would occur, and so that's probably not a good outcome. Uh, Certainly, I don't think so. And when we have an opportunity to have compromise and agreement between many different stakeholders on the public land initiative. So timing is very important on what you do it. It's only a placeholder. It's $14 million, by the way, that they said that they, it may cost. And so that's a number that's been set aside as a placeholder. I think we can do it for a lot less money than that, by the way. And it would have to go out to bid. So it'd have to be put out to have attorneys come and law firms and uh, bid on the process and and to take on that responsibility. So it's certainly something that's moving forward. It's being done, the lawsuit litigation aspect, in, in concert with our public land initiative and our congressional delegation. And timing on this is the most critical part of it. All right, Cole. Thanks so much. Let's talk to Elizabeth in Layton with a question for Governor Gary Herbert. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, I'm so excited. Well, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. So I just have a question about taxes. Um, First off, are you willing to commit to not raise taxes again? You know, the proposal we've put forward here with our budget uh, has no tax increases, no increased debt. Uh, The only time we've had tax increases that we've done since I've been governor have been like on the gasoline tax, which had not been raised for 18 years, and the purchasing power of the money we had uh, had not kept up. And so consequently, our tax policy was a little bit out of whack. We had uh, less and less coming from the user of the roads, which is the gasoline tax, and more and more having to be subsidized and augmented by our general uh, fund, which has its own set of issues and, and, uh, and other obligations. So that was something that needed to be adjusted, and the legislature saw fit to adjust that. We're about 12 cents behind purchasing power of inflation as well as uh, better mileage from the automobiles. So we're losing both ways. We've only increased it about a nickel, so we're still far behind be, uh, behind what we should do. We also have had an increase that was voted on by the people for local uh, transportation. Some uh, counties decided to vote for and impose upon themselves a tax increase for transportation, and some didn't. And the only other one that's been a tax increase really has been a desire, as the Utah public wants us to do, and that's to equalize educational opportunities. And we found that some uh, areas of the state were being underfunded, and other parts of the state were being uh, had an advantage because they were getting more money. So the need for equalization, supported by uh, all the vast majority of the legislature and uh, Howard Stevenson, the head of the tax commission, said this is a, a time for us to make an adjustment for education purposes. So uh, we still right now, with all of what's been done, uh, are about the 10th or 11th lowest tax obligation state in America today. Our economy is humming. We've got good tax policy in place, and there's no need now with the adjustments being made for transportation, for education, uh, to really have any additional tax increases in my view. All right, Elizabeth, thanks so much for your call. We're going to take a break here on Let Me Speak to the Governor. We'll be back with more phone calls. Number again, KSL Talk. Let Me Speak to the Governor continues in just a minute. You know, we talk about saving for retirement, and everybody has some sort of a goal, at least I would think. Whether it's a $500,000 or a million dollars, 
you have a 401k and you maybe even started it very early on. The goal is to save. But then what happens once you get that money? Do you have a plan of what to do with that money? When to start taking the money out? How are you going to handle taxes? You need a plan. Right. So many questions come to mind when it's time to actually retire. You need somebody to sit you down and show you a plan and say, this is exactly what you need to do with your money. That somebody is the Boss Brothers. The Boss Brothers are so smart about these things. They have been helping people with these plans. Well, actually, they've been smart about it since they were kids. (laughs) And now that's all they do. Look, nobody gets away with just winging it. You absolutely need somebody to show you what to do. These guys are legally obligated to put your best interest first. Call them at 801-923-6190. If you've got $200,000 saved, 801-923-6190. Give them a call right now. Boss Retirement Solutions. Did you happen to choose service plumbing, heating, air conditioning, electrical, or drain cleaning as your profession? If you have five or more years' experience in one or more of these trades, and if you're a friendly, caring, kind person with great communication skills, if you are drug-free, can pass a criminal background check, and desire to improve yourself with a fast-growing, world-class, industry-leading company, if you meet all these qualifications and would like to work for what we affectionately call the best company in the world, bless our heart, then call Whipple Service Champions at 444-FAST. We hire and train the best technicians in the industry. If you feel qualified, call 444-FAST. For more information, visit WhippleServiceChampions.com. Are you paid what you deserve with benefits? Do you receive ongoing professional training, advancement opportunities, and resources for your personal growth? If not, then join the winning team at Whipple Service Champions. To find your career and what makes us different, call 444-FAST. I'm excited about your future. Whipple, come, plumbing troubles all gone. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. And welcome back to our somewhat abbreviated edition of Let Me Speak to the Governor. And uh, Governor Gary Herbert is uh, with us. And your opportunity to talk to the governor about things going on in the state of Utah. One thing I want to ask you, Governor, a proposal came up in late in the legislative session that would send $51 million uh, from Utah to help construct this port in Oakland, California. Are you in favor of that or opposed to that? Well, I, am, I support the concept. I recognize there's some issues here that need to be thought through. Uh, thoroughly and make sure that we're doing things appropriately, that we're funding it appropriately, that we're, uh, you know, not violating any kind of statute or law. The frustration comes for a lot of our rural parts of Utah where energy is a, a big part of their economy, particularly coal. And uh, that frustration is shared by other states like Wyoming, where in order to uh, sh- uh, ship uh, for international commerce uh, their product, they need to go through some kind of a port on the coast. And we have, like, Washington State, Oregon, and California that for their own reasons are saying, well, we're not going to let your product come through our ports. And in essence, stymieing their ability to sell their product. Now, none of us would tolerate if they put a roadblock on the interstate and said, you can't bring in a truckload of coal to sell to anybody or to ship it out to some other land. And, and so that's the frustration. And I know that it really is under the Commerce Clause of our Constitution. This probably is a federal government issue, and the federal government ought to get involved to make sure that free trade can continue and that uh, there's not uh, government stifling the market uh, uh, pressures out there. That being said, uh, what, what a lot of people in Utah have said, why don't we have our own port? Let's own it 
and control it. We can share that with other states and other areas that would like to have access to a port, and maybe that will make a, a good economic decision for us to help us export coal and products and get a return on our investment. Mm-hmm. And that's the intent, and I think that's what's being discussed, and I think the discussion is important. All right. Let's go back to your questions for Governor Gary Herbert. Lori uh, is in Hooper and has a question for the governor. Welcome, Lori. Thank you. Good afternoon, Governor. I appreciate your strong leadership and especially that great response to the last question. Thank you. Um, my, my question today is, as you're speaking about earlier, the signature gathering process, of course, ready to talk us. Do you foresee any clarification coming out of the legislation in regard to the by HB 54? I don't think there's going to be anything done by the legislature. They passed a law. I had overwhelming consensus on it. It was designed to, in fact, protect and keep in place the caucus convention system, which has served the state of Utah so well. And so uh, the effort was designed to uh, to kind of thwart the count my vote effort, which was going to say, let's just go to a general primary, forget the caucus convention. And so it was a compromise. It was an, an agreement uh, come uh, together with members of the legislature and the count my vote folks. And I think with good, uh, you know, uh, uh, will on both sides. So it passed. Some in the Republican Party didn't like it, and that's why we now have numerous lawsuits out there that are being litigated, which will probably give us clarification. I don't think the legislature wants to step into the middle of that, particularly with litigation and lawsuits flying. But I expect over the next couple of weeks uh, soon, we'll get some clarification from the courts on the constitutionality and the legality of the Senate Bill 54 legislation. All right, Lori, thanks so much for your call. Let's uh, talk to Steve in Taylorsville with a question for the governor. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Governor, I've got a question about the tax money we're getting from the gas tax for our roads. Why are we proposing to use that for a water pipeline from Lake Powell to St. George? Well, I don't know that we're using any gasoline tax uh, to use for the pipeline. In fact, uh, the money spent for the pipeline is yet to be spent and even authorized. I have put in my budget recommendations about $6 million from our general fund money to actually study the benefit of the pipeline. What is the truth about the cost? What is the benefit that we'll get from the pipeline? Who will benefit? And we and and there's just a lot of details that are missing on that issue right now. That particularly those who are going to be the utilizers, those who use the Lake Powell pipeline water, are going to be tasked to pay for the for the cost of this pipeline. They need to understand what the costs are and what the benefits are, so they can make a good decision on whether to support it or not. So there's no gasoline tax money going to be used for any water projects. And we, we talk about the Lake Powell Pipeline Project, but there's other projects out there, too, by the way, that are uh, on the horizon. The Bear River Basin, for example, uh, ability for us to prove up water there, uh, some other smaller projects. So it's not just Lake Powell Pipeline. That's the one that seems to get the most notoriety, though. All right. Thanks, Steve, for your question. And let's go to Janice in Willard now with a question for the governor. Janice, welcome. Hi. Hey, Janice. I would like to know why Utah is fighting expanding Medicaid so vigorously when we have people who would benefit so much from having it expanded. Well, I think the argument you'd hear from the legislature is the current concern about long-term sustainability. Uh, It's one thing to buy into the Medicaid program, which we have done, and we've been a part of the Medicaid program since the late 60s. 
But every year that cost that we have to match uh, from the state coffers, the state taxpayers, gets ever increasingly larger. And so if we expand that Medicaid obligation, then the question is, can we afford it? We may can afford it now, but can we afford it in five years or ten years? So there's kind of a, a go-slow mentality in the legislature. Uh, I've had a proposal out there called Healthy Utah, which I liked better. I, I think it was better than traditional Medicaid and Medicaid expansion because it had, uh, I think, better outcomes and uh, for the monies that we are already spending under the Affordable Care Act as a mandatory obligation. That was not able to get passed. We didn't have the votes on that. So I think you're going to see the legislature come back with a more, a more modest pr- approach and that allow us to, in fact, gather, uh, uh, you know, statistics and data, which will help us understand, can we, in fact, grow this going forward with a sustainable approach? And we'll also see what happens with the, with the Congress and with the new president, whomever he or she may be in the White House in 2017. There's some possibility of amendments to the Affordable Care Act, which will give more flexibility to the states. One I'd like to see, for example, was to give us the higher match of 90-10 to just up to 100% of uh, poverty, whereas right now they require you to go to 138% of poverty, which means that we have people under the Affordable Care Act that are uh, making uh, getting subsidies subsidized um, insurance payments, and you could be a family of four making over $94,000 a year. That may be a little bit too robust under the Affordable Care Act. But anybody over 100% can go to the exchange and buy insurance, and up to 94000 for a family of four gets subsidy. So I think there's going to be some changes and amendments that will take place, particularly if there's a Republican in the White House. And that's some uncertainty that I think the, the legislature is a little concerned about. Janice, thanks so much for your question on Let Me Speak to the Governor. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more questions for Utah Governor Gary Herbert on Let Me Speak to the Governor. Be a smile maker. Hyundai's Miles for Smiles event is going on now at your Utah Hyundai dealers. Now through March 10th, test drive any new Hyundai, and for every mile you drive, they'll donate a dollar to Primary Children's Hospital. Been wanting to check out that new Sonata, Tucson, Santa Fe, Genesis, or the all-new, totally redesigned 2017 Hyundai Elantra? Now is your chance to do so and help raise thousands for children in need. And during Hyundai's Seize the Moment sales event, you can take advantage of huge savings across their entire lineup. And every new Hyundai always comes with Hyundai Assurance and America's best warranty. 10 years, 100,000 miles. That's the best in the business. So be a smile maker. Test drive a new Hyundai and help a child in need. Make the smart move and get to your Utah Hyundai dealer today. Based on total package of warranty programs. See dealer for limited warranty details. Yo, what's up, kid? What you listening to? Man, just jamming out to my favorite radio station in town with the Next Radio app. Your favorite station in town? Like streaming it on your phone? Nah, dude. Real FM radio on my phone with the Next Radio app. No streaming, which means I ain't using up my data. Check this. It's got this live guide that shows me what's playing live on the radio right now. Plus, if there's a song I really liked, I can check out the history and get the title without having to open up another app to find out what the last song I heard was. Yo, my dude, that's dope. I need to get up on this. Yeah, man, you need to get with it. You need to download the Next Radio app for your Android smartphone at Google Play. Haha, <laughs> you know it. Download the Next Radio app and listen to your favorite local FM station right on your phone. 
The live guide feature lets you see what's playing, purchase music, search the history, and see what's played. Next Radio, local FM on your Android phone. Download it from Google Play. Next Radio, radio you can see and hear. Has the performance of the stock market been worrying you? Hi, Rick Edelman here. Volatility can be unnerving, especially if you didn't realize your investments could lose so much money or lose it so quickly. If you don't have the diversified portfolio you need, or if you're uncertain of what your strategy should be, now's the time to call us. At Edelman Financial Services, we advise more than 30,000 clients, and we've been doing this through turbulent times for nearly 30 years. If you didn't go through the crash of 87, the tech bubble of 2000, or the credit crisis of 08, no worries, because we have. Call us, and you can benefit from our experience. Our phone number is 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Advisory services offered through Edelman Financial Services, LLC. Securities offered through Sanders Morris Harris, Inc., an affiliated broker-dealer. Member FINRA SIPC. The governor answers your questions. Utah's most important issues on Let Me Speak to the Governor. And welcome back to Let Me Speak to the Governor. Utah Governor Gary Herbert with us this afternoon. We've been interrupted a bit by uh, Donald Trump, who has been responding to uh, Mitt Romney's comments earlier today. But, Governor, I want to ask you one of the biggest questions facing the state of Utah in this legislative session. Do you support ending daylight savings time? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I understand it's been introduced again, but uh, 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 discarded. You know, I really like daylight savings. I wish we could just stay on daylight savings maybe year-round, but yeah. uh, we'd be out of step with the rest of the country. I think Arizona and Hawaii are the only ones that don't have it. And we are such an outdoor recreation state with people. Our Little League ball games, our after-school things that we function with seem to have kind of been ingrained with daylight savings. So I'm okay with keeping it. Uh, and the other big burning question in the legislature, would you uh, agree to do away with safety inspections on vehicles? You know, I think safety inspections have a significant benefit. They, they they keep us on our toes. If we didn't have to do it, we may let things deteriorate a little bit longer than they should. We probably have less safe automobiles and probably more pollution. So I think having regular checkups, just yeah. like you do with your doctor and your dentist, yeah. probably be good for our automobiles, yeah. too. All right. got time for one more question. Dave in Orem has a question for the governor. Welcome, Dave. Hi. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk to governor and realize that this is uh, unique to us sometimes. So anyway, thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Dave. I'm a trout fisherman, um, and unfortunately I live in the second driest state in the nation. <laughs> Having said that, um, most of our, you know, I spend a lot of time fishing in the other states around the areas, and this issue with the uh, stream access law that continues to go back and forth and back and forth, mm-hmm. um, now it's back again where there's been a stay um, given. I guess my question is, is there a way that this can be worked out with respect to the landowners who own their, who own the properties along the rivers, which I understand is a significant amount of money that goes into that, yeah. but also some way to get those of us who fish and who participate by purchasing licenses and, and those fish, you know, those are paid for out of these licensing fees, things like that. Is there a way that it can be a little bit more along the lines of the Idaho laws on the high water mark. Is that something that you're willing to get involved in? 
You know, we've tried to bring people together on this. We've had uh, Representative Kay McKiff, who's been involved in authoring legislation. We've had Ted Wilson, one of our leading environmentalists in the state, former mayor of Salt Lake City, uh, help to try to broker an agreement between landowners, farmers, ranchers, uh, the fishermen, to see if we can find compromise. And although we've got close, we can't seem to quite close the deal. We do have litigation going on right now. Maybe the litigation will ultimately uh, resolve the issue and, and give clarity. We got along so well for so many years, you know, until we had a couple of guys got angry at each other and brought uh, litigation, which has kind of caused us all to, to become a little more chaotic. But I think there is a way, and let's hopefully that that way comes soon so people know what the rules are and the laws are. If Idaho's got a better way of doing it that we can talk about, I think that's been brought to our attention before in some of these groups and uh, some parts of it they like and some parts they don't like. The good news for all of us is we have a lot of streams and we have a lot of access. Partly that's because we have 70% of our land mass that's publicly owned land, so nobody can stop you from trespassing. And uh, uh, with our farmers and ranchers, they're just saying, hey, we need to protect our cows and our crops and walking up our stream beds, you know, which we've historically been able to protect, uh, causes them a little bit of anxiety. I'm hopeful that we can come together. We certainly have not given up that quest, and either we're going to resolve it together and come up with a compromise that works for everybody, or the courts are going to tell us what to do. All right. Dave, thanks so much for your uh, question, and thanks, everybody, for their questions for Governor Gary Herbert on Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor, thanks so much, and uh, good luck with the remainder of the legislative session. Thank you. It's going to be great. All right. And uh, we'll be back with uh, Jay McFarland and the Browsers coming up next. Have you heard about Davis County's early college charter school, Career Path High? Students graduate with their diploma and a college certification, qualifying them for a high-paying job. At Career Path High, they're reinventing secondary education, the first of its kind to combine high school with a technology college. Students have over 30 technical programs to choose from with access to state-of-the-art facilities and hands-on mentor training. Career Path High uses an innovative, personalized approach with the benefits of a high school located right on the campus of the Davis Applied Technology College, and it's tuition-free. Students receive one-on-one instruction from certified teachers and a customized learning path designed to meet their needs. Career Path High empowers students over their own education. Go to high school, graduate with a career. Enrolling grades 9 through 12 now. Register at careerpathhigh.org. Space is limited. Go to careerpathhigh.org today. Attend an open house March 17th. For more information, visit careerpathhigh.org. Get KSL everywhere you need us, in your car, online, and streaming live on your phone with a mobile app for KSL. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City, KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Utah's News, Traffic, and Weather Station. Coming up on 1 o'clock in the KSL 24-hour newsroom, I'm Cleon Wall. KSL's top local story this hour is Your Voice, Your Vote 2016. Refusal to release tax returns, his sexual exploits, and his demeaning treatment of others are three reasons Mitt Romney calls Donald Trump a con man and a fake. But Romney admits he likes Trump's promise to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. But his prescriptions to do those things are flimsy at best. At the last debate, all he could remember about his health care plan was to remove insurance boundaries between states. Romney is trying to derail Trump's surging presidential campaign, urging voters during a University of Utah speech to nominate any Republican but Trump because 
that would enable Hillary Clinton, whom Romney also trashed, to become president. Donald Trump said that he thought Mitt Romney was a better person than the man that bashed him today. He said four years ago, Romney was begging for his endorsement. I could have said, Mitt, drop to your knees. He 